Welcome to The Power of Care, a podcast that shares insights, trends, and developments in the senior care ecosystem with a focus on technology and innovation. My name is Mark McGrand, Director of Business Development at Viar, a company that specializes in advanced, contactless, and private wellness technology. Each episode, I will be discussing the rapidly changing elderly care market with experts from the sector, including community operators, technology providers, caregivers, and senior living real estate developers. I hope this podcast brings you valuable content and information on the sector. And now for our guest. So welcome everyone back to our podcast. Uh, Today, I have a fantastic guest. I have Dr. Russ joining me a home safety program coordinator and doctor of physical therapy uh, with the VA. Russ, thanks for, thanks for joining. Well, thanks for having me. I've been really looking forward to uh, getting back on the phone with you. It's been a while. It has, it has. It's been a strange year for everyone. And um, it's the reason we started talking, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been an interesting year for what I've, what I've been calling remote caregiving because so many people uh, needed care and uh, did not have access to other people. So remote caregiving became sort of a thing. And uh, that's how you and I started talking. Yeah, I think that um, really kicked things off for me. Because when uh, when I was looking at uh, COVID and and getting into it as we went through it, what was funny, what struck me a lot, and I probably said this before on other on other episodes, but is that it, it felt like we've had remote care for a long time and we just haven't been implementing it. And COVID finally came along and just forced us to. I mean, it yeah. grabbed us all and, all and we all like shocked about it. I mean, it right. was amazingly how quickly, I think if we look at COVID in general, how we sat there and said, you know, oh, well, how would we ever survive something else? We're all locked in our homes. But we all immediately turned on zoom at home and connect with family members. We all immediately started using FaceTime. We all immediately had all these remote health things that we could use in our houses. They were there the whole time. Well, kind of, um, you know, when you say we all, there was a huge a segment of the pos- of the population that are either not digital natives or are not digital adapted. And this was the population that I was, was dealing with. Uh, we're talking about, I mean, I still have World War II vets who, you know, remember the Battle of the Bulge and dial phones, right? So the immediate challenge for me was helping them build an infrastructure. You know, a lot of them had internet because it was how they got their TV, but they didn't really know anything else. Their kids set it up, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then once once we got the infrastructure established, you know, usernames and passwords were a huge, a huge barrier to getting some things set up. Then it's a matter of getting the technology in the home. And then it was a matter of training uh, a lot of these folks, mostly guys, because at the VA, it's mostly guys, but not all, uh, to use this technology, right? So the hours and hours and hours it took at the beginning of the pandemic, just getting usernames and passwords to Wi-Fi networks. You would think that's a minor thing, but it's not when, you know, there's five kids in the family, one of them set it up. They don't remember. Nobody ever used it. Now all of a sudden it's the most important thing. And then, you know, you, you hand, you hand dad an iPhone, dad's 90 
And then you try to FaceTime them and you get to count every ear hair because they're going to put the phone up to their ear. Okay. I have inspected more ears this past year and some than I care to, to, to remember. So there's been some real technology barriers as far as the human interface in this population. Doesn't that also highlight the exact same point? It is that we've had it. It's when I say we, I mean, and the broader societal view of it, it has existed. We all knew it was there. That's right. And we weren't, we weren't coaching these things. That's right. We weren't putting them in. We, We could have been doing this over the last 10, 15 years. We could have started 15 is probably pushing it with some of that, but you know, it comes to FaceTime and things, but past 10, there were remote health things that, you know, we kind of got caught with the, oh man, now we're not prepared. We don't have these things. Cause I agree with you 100%, the, the passwords. I mean, my, my dad's from a family of, of nine. So mm-hmm. I know if you looked at, if you, if you looked and you said, okay, which one of the kids, um, you know, set up the passwords. Well, right there, you're already. <laughs> so it's already a mess, and then just a lot getting of doors. Every, that's and right. It was probably it was probably one of the nieces or nephews. So and a lot of times you really got a family tree going out. Well, a lot of times it's the grandchildren that set these things up, and you know, and everyone's yeah. working. So like when I'm working, they're working, which means getting together with them to get this stuff, uh, you know, um, implemented was really hard. And you know, I mentioned Imagine. earlier this this concept of digital native. You know, my kids are digital natives. I'm what I call a digital adaptive. Um, I'm at that age. I'm actually on the cusp because I took on technology super, super early. So I'm very, very familiar with it. And then there's somebody like my mom or my veterans who what I call are digitally averse or digitally resistive. They don't want the smartphone. They, you know, I, I'm, I can't do a video visit. I'm 85 years old. It's like, you know, that's it's not mutually exclusive. You can be 85 years old and still do a video visit. So one of the things that we really had to work hard to do was to find technologies that were more intuitive, right? That were less digitally invasive. So we started using, um, like, like, obviously FaceTime was one of the easiest, right? The VA created a very robust um, video conferencing system for healthcare because we had HIPAA issues, but it was cumbersome to use. And if you weren't, you know, digitally adapted, you weren't going to use this, this platform because it involved answering an email and clicking a link. FaceTime was the way to go. Right. So they allowed us for the pandemic to use FaceTime. And it was great because it was just as easy as answering a phone call, except for the holding the phone up to your ear thing that that was hard. Uh, the other thing we started doing is experimenting with like Facebook communicator, the Facebook portal devices, then they could talk to the machine and connect with their family. And the more intuitive and uh, voice activated, we could get the technology, the, the better off we were in working with this population. And I had a lot of feedback from people who passed and their family would say, it was the only way we could see our loved ones. You have no idea how valuable this technology was. So I feel very proud of the fact that I was able to connect, help connect people in a time where they would otherwise you know, been unable 
to to be with the people that they they loved they cared about and uh so so that that was an interesting realization for me so i started to understand the difference between sort of like digital technology that you need to actively participate in and digital technology that sort of happened to you more passive uh and that's one of the reasons i liked your device because they don't have to do anything right <laughs> they, they, they don't have to they don't even have to push a button right because a lot of times we'll we'll go to veterans and we'll you know they they've fallen i laid on the floor for eight hours well i got you a medical alert device yeah i didn't want to bother anybody okay but you laid on the floor for hours you know turns out your kids are pretty upset about that it would have been nice if you just pushed the button you know <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely so this idea, uh, even the voice activated technology, we found that people had an upper limit of the amount of uh, voice controls they could remember. So it was about three, by the way, for most people in this age group. So that became real important to me. And, and I had originally, you know, whenever you start a project, you have an idea of what you think is going to work or what you think is going to be terrific. And, you know, everything's great in your own head. And then it gets out into the wild, right? What was that? I think Sun Tzu said, you know, no, no plan ever survives a meeting with the enemy. And it's the same thing. You know, no plan ever survives a meeting in the wild. And all of this wonderful technology I thought I was going to put in place, it turned out it was very different in the real world. And it, it, the more passive the technology could be, the less participation that was required, the more effective it was to actually keep people safe at home, if that makes sense to you. Absolutely. Actually, it was uh, the great Mike Tyson, I believe, said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Uh, but but that's, that's absolutely true. And I think even early on in my career, I was working with some GPS products and things like that. But uh, someone came to the office and we were having a discussion about they wanted us to develop an app. And everything. really, we weren't built for it at the company I was at. But one of his things was he was going through requirements was there shouldn't be any command or any screen that takes more than three clicks to get to. And that was a huge part of it. When you sit there and you talk, look at the passive nature or voice activation, anything like that, you know, if you're working even with your, you know, Amazon devices today and you're, you're going through those and you're trying to activate them, they do a good job of, you know, Alexa tries to coach you back through, hey, I also have this, you just have to, you have to say this. And she does those reminders because you know that people can't remember. We might all think, oh, you know, I say open the fridge door, but there's probably 14 other ways that someone else could say the exact same thing and try to make, and they, they mean something different when they say it. Um, and that kind of comes back to in that world today, I know a huge part of it, which I don't know a lot about though, is, is kind of that natural language processing, something I've learned a little bit more about as we've worked with certain platforms and things sure. like that. Sure. Because they're trying to, they're trying to make the, make the robots smarter. <laughs> so but, that, right. And that's the key yeah. with AI. That's where AI comes in, you know, aside from the darker side of AI from the sci-fi movies where it's going to ruin our lives and take <laughs> over the world. Okay. The, the, this idea of, well, let me back up. When I started playing with computers in the 1980s, okay, we had, I started out with my Commodore 64 programming basic and then, and then you know, it was MS-DOS, right? And I remember playing games on, on MS-DOS, like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe, right? And you needed to, I don't know if you played that game, it was a text-based game and, you know, you, it starts out, uh, you're in a dark room. 
you have to kind of know what the engineer was thinking when he coded the game to type in the correct response to get to the next level. So at the beginning, it was all about thinking like an engineer. It turns out engineer aren't really, they're not really real people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they are to other engineers, but they don't think like, like regular people, right? So the first evolution of computing was about, you know, all these engineers kind of thinking the same way. And if you really wanted to understand computing, you had to think like an engineer, right? And then it became about user experience, right? So then how can we make this better for the user? And I think the next phase is going to be user transparency. Like how can we make this experience transparent to the user? So maybe they don't even think they're using technology, right? And I think that's going to be an interesting evolution. Like you said, natural, natural language algorithms and things like that, where you're going to interact with these machines in a way that you're, you're going to easily forget their machine. And certainly yeah. that's, that's helpful technology for us, for people who work with digital uh, resistives. Like my mom, for instance, she's capable of using a smartphone. She won't. And I know that because she loves being on Facebook with a tablet, but she will not migrate to a smartphone. Interesting, right? Like she can use the tablet, but as soon as it becomes, now I, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do the text mex. Now it's text message, mom. <laughs> but I, I understand it at the same time. And there's always, there's a lot of different fears that come along with it. There's a whole psychological piece that I'm not qualified to talk about, but I, I can understand it from my level that there's a reason people don't want to go down that road. And I couldn't agree with you more that it, it is about getting the technology to kind of, I would say the technology has to fit into your life. You shouldn't have to fit the technology. Right. You know, when it comes to something, when someone said, like, when I look at fall detection, I, I really love the passive side of it because I look at it as kind of like insurance. Look, when you first put it in, especially the idea is I'm not saying you're going to fall today, but at some point this event might occur and we'll need to get you assistance. Um, that's, that's the type of technology I want in there so that when that event occurs, the technology takes care of me, but I don't have to go every day and turn my insurance on. I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have right. to turn on my car insurance before I get in the car. I shouldn't have to flip a switch because I guarantee you my house would burn down the day that I forgot. You know, that, that's just, that's the way uh, it goes. And I think that's, exactly that's, right. all the, that's all the technology that is, as we're approaching, we should always look at it that way. Because when I think of, if you're building out something today, it's going to help a caseworker or it's something that's going to help a nurse inside of an actual, you know, community, it can't be something that they have to do. No, I, I can't agree with you more. And you mentioned sort of the psychological aspect of this and, and you're right. And I'm not qualified to discuss it in any detail either. Um, but there is a lot of processes that go into a lot of mental processes that go into aging. Okay. And I'll never forget one time I was working with a woman who had just reached her hundredth birthday. And she looked at me and she said, I finally understand what my mother meant. And I looked at her and I said, it took you a hundred years to figure out what your mother meant. And she goes, she said, she said, no, my mother got to be a hundred. And she said, she still thought like a 40 year old, but had a hundred year old body. And she goes, I couldn't understand that because my mother was smart enough to know she was 100 years old. She goes, but sometimes I wake up in the morning and I still think I'm 40. Now, that's, that's 
that's wishful thinking to like the next level. But I noticed that nobody wants to cross that threshold too old. Even when they're on the floor and the medical alert button is around their neck, they don't want to be the person in the commercial from the 90s. Help, I've fallen, I can't get up. So they'll lay there and deny that they've fallen even while they're on the floor. And then they'll redefine what a fall is. Did you fall? No, I lowered myself to the ground. Meanwhile, they're there, their hip is dislocated, like they fell. So there's a mindset there that makes any active technology less effective because they're not gonna use it. They're not gonna interact with it. But with a, with a passive technology, with passive fall detection, we can get to them sooner. We can prevent further injuries because there are, there are sequelae that occur after a fall that if not attended to will just make matters even worse. Dehydration, you know, there are psychological effects. I can go on and on and on with that list, right? So early intervention on a fall is incredibly important. What's even more important and what excites me about this, this technology and artificial intelligence and the ability of uh, computers to compute massive amounts of data is the possibility of predictive algorithms. The possibility that I can have a machine analyze data about people's walking behaviors, walking patterns, and start to predict a fall and then intervene before the fall happens and stop and prevent all of the effects that can happen after a fall, broken hips, pneumonia, everything that occurs, right? Because people die after falls because of a number of reasons. So when you talk about preventing falls, you're talking about preventing premature death. Let's, let's make no mistake about this because whether it's the long inferment that occurs after a fall or the immediate effects, it shortens people's lives. So that, that's where I get excited about, not only is it a passive technology that doesn't have to be turned on, but it has the capability of taking data and making some correlations, not correlations, not causation, we know that, but there is a certain science that suggests that if somebody's demonstrating these patterns, which can be picked up by t- this technology and technology that has yet to be developed, that can tell me with some accuracy, this person is in danger of falling. These are the interventions that should be planned. Or, you know, even something as simple as, you know, how many times did this person go to the bathroom this month as opposed to last month? Maybe there's a UTI, right? And if we address that UTI, we can also reduce fall risk and not to mention the other things that happen when you don't address a UTI. So there's, there's some really exciting things that are happening with this technology, which is both passive and not particularly invasive, right? We, we had looked at technologies that did something similar to what uh, Vire did that used video. Well, guess what? Turns out that nobody wants to be surveilled in their own home. Who knew, right? I- <laughs> shock. Absolute shock on my especially side. Since, especially since we're from the government. It's like, okay, we're from the government. We'd like to put some video cameras in your house. It's, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Why wouldn't you trust us? Why wouldn't you trust us? So, you know, th- this idea that there's a, there's a technology that exists and 
and will exist. Because I always, when it comes to technology, I always talk about what exists, but what can exist based on how it will evolve, because everything will evolve. This is hockey puck thing that may at some point be able to tell me when somebody is going to fall and then I can intervene before. Because I'm going to tell you right now, doing what I do, intervening before a fall, much better than intervening after one. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that, that's a pretty uh, easy one, right? If right? Captain Hindsight pretty actually obvious. Had, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you know, if, if Hindsight actually had some, some help, right? If, oh, man, if I'd only not dropped the plate, you know, <laughs> exactly. That's what, exactly. that's what our, you know, whoever your spouse is, I guarantee you, you've done it to them or they've done it to you where something happens and then you, you turn around and you explain, well, if you had done this, you know, that wouldn't have happened. It's like, oh, let me write that down. So when I get in my time machine later, I can, exactly, <laughs> I can exactly. And so resolve this, but yeah, it, there's, there's so much promise for new technologies in remote caregiving. Uh, and one of them is this this predictive technology. Uh, the other is to just recognize that there there are basically two categories of of care that I that I see in the home. It's the sort of physical disability, and then there's this cognitive disability, which would be more like dementia, Alzheimer's, where we worry about people wandering and leaving the stove on and and just getting into toddler level trouble. Okay, and you know even technologies that exist now that can detect current draws. You know, we know the refrigerator has been left open too long, or we know the stove has been on too long, right? And, and, and combined with um, presence technology, right? The stove has been on for three hours and nobody's been standing in front of it. So somebody left the stove on, right? And now we have to go and check on mom, you know, or dad. And you have to remember that every single one of these devices is connected to a loving caring caregiver who cannot be there because they have to conduct their own lives. You know, my generation, my age, we're what's called the sandwich generation because, and, and younger as well. My kids are grown, but they still have some needs and my, and my mom has some needs. So there'll be days where I'll be on the phone with, you know, mom, kid, mom, kid, mom, kid, mom, kid. Right. And for the caregivers I've seen with younger kids, even crazier you know it's 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 still driving to soccer and dealing with this and school and then and then and then it's you know mom fell or mom left the stove on and they literally are faced with this dilemma of being in two places at one time well you know technology solves some of those problems to a certain extent you can't but the challenge that i see a lot is and i'm kind of counteracting what i said earlier because earlier i said we had all this technology why didn't we implement it sooner here I am going to bring up a problem with it. What's difficult is introduction of this technology. And I don't mean to the market as a whole. I mean that on a, a broad scale basis and mm -hmm. you know thinking in business. But I mean, literally, if I go to, we've got that caregiver situation. Like I said, let's say they have younger kids that they're still you know, occasionally going to the, the baseball game, soccer game, whatever it may be. At the same time, they're also trying to care for a parent. How do you, coming to them and introducing too much technology is very real. Anybody that kind of goes, they don't really want to be thrown into the pool. You know, they'd like to kind of put their toe in and, and walk in. You know, how do you guys approach that? I mean, with COVID, you guys were thrown into the fire. You yes. knew that you, you did not have a choice. You had to implement 
new things. Like you talked about the, the video calls earlier, the, the voice activated devices earlier. When you were going and meeting with those first clients, you kind of had to bring a lot with you and start putting things in. But how did you guys approach it? How do you handle it delicately, that delicate introduction of here's the here's the product and here's what we're doing right now? Well, you know, every conversation is different, right? Every conversation is a brand new conversation. Mm-hmm. But they did come into certain classifications. There's the no, 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 I don't need anything. I don't want anything group, okay? Mm-hmm. And then there's the no, 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 I don't need anything. I don't want anything group that have caring loved ones that are are trying their best but they can't be there so then the conversation's about listen we know you don't need this but your daughter's really worried about you and it would be a great help to her i know that you don't want her to be overburdened so wouldn't it be nice to give her some peace of mind and that softens some people to the idea right and then you have the the case where the kids are making all the decisions. It's like, no, mom's getting this. Dad's getting this. It's, it's done. You know, we're doing it. And of course at the VA, it's a little easier because we don't have to have a conversation about finances. It's like, if I, if I'm bringing something up, the VA is doing it because we're, we're committed to taking care of these veterans. And during COVID they, the VA had to adapt because we, you know, we couldn't be there. So they were, the VA was pretty good about, letting me do some experimenting with certain technologies within certain limits, of course. So not having to talk about, you know, what it would cost, then it was all about, well, what is it? How is it going to impact your life? Is it going to impact your life in a negative way? Is it going to impact your kid's life in a positive way? Is it going to impact your, your image of who you are, uh, meaning am I old? Am I not old? You know, that's, that's a big thing. Because the way people imagine themselves plays a big part in how they make their decisions, right? And uh, so that was the biggest issue with getting the technology in place. It's like, well, I don't want to be, I'm afraid of the technology and I don't want to be thought of as old, right? So some of the younger guys, like the Vietnam era guys, even the Korean War era guys, uh, not as concerned about technology like they were used to it right they had they had roku on their tv and you know you could show them some of the things they could do well listen when you put your feet down at night your bathroom light goes on wow that's awesome i'll take some of that and believe it or not the most popular thing we did was a set of led strip lights underneath somebody's bed with a motion sensor this was some strange magic and no matter we we could have we could have put in voice controls for the tv and the in the light everything you know what i really like doc i love those lights under the bed that's the best thing ever and i kept hearing about it like (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing it it seems simple but i love it simple is you know it what are they, what's the, the phrase? Usually the simplest conclusion is usually the right one. Right, um, Occam's razor. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's it. There's so yeah. many times that that really is what it comes down to. And at the same time, we can't undervalue that. Um, there is tremendous value when you're getting up at night. That's a dangerous time. It's just the swing of the legs over the bed, the having to stand yourself up. Anybody that's, it does, I don't care what age they are, if you've seen anybody that's had knee surgeries, 
they do they do the rock you I know it's, it's hard to get up and then um usually you're sleeping with socks on which can be a risk because they actually become more can become more slippery you know we've seen true. things where people go to the end of a bed and they slide off like it's a slide it might as well have been uh greased up so indeed it, it does have a lot of value but at the same time i could also see the i don't know the, the child like appeal where I just put my feet on the floor and this light turns on. It's, just, it's so cool. It's, just, it's, so, it's so cool. It's I so love simple. to see these 80-year-olds turn it's into so adolescents. It's like, it's the coolest thing. Yeah, watch this. Watch this. I just do this and, you know, the light comes on. That's right. You know? That's right. <laughs> you know? So the other, the other thing, too, is that the, um, the voice-activated devices were offering some companionship. As soon as you can, there were features of the machine where uh, Alexa has a remember feature where you can – uh, you can uh, prompt the the user to ask questions, and it'll remember things from their own life. You can have a program as you know grandchildren's names and grandchildren's birthdays, which was kind of nice. It'll tell you stories and it'll play music from your your time period. So you know, my my mom is probably playing Elvis Presley or Patsy Cline right now on her Alexa device, right? And also, she doesn't have to. All she has to do is remember the song that she wants. That's not a problem. That, that memory is completely intact. With people who have cognitive impairments, we were finding that the voice activation feature was real helpful for compliance, setting alarms to take your medication, uh, setting, I, I actually went into a veteran's home and they let me set an alarm for every 45 minutes that says, don't forget to use your walker. And you can also do things like set sensors that when they get near a door, tells them don't go out this door or things that you know, you have to find the combination of words that work. But this idea that voice reminders can keep people out of trouble is another use for the technology. So I was finding that the more I use the technology, the more I found to use the technology with, right? Is that, because it made it, is that because it made it more human for them? I think so. Yeah. I mean, uh, certainly, you know, and when it came to, you know, when it comes to cognitive impairment, like dementia, uh, you you don't necessarily want to jar them. You want to be able to gently remind them that works better. You know, kindness goes a long way with people who have dementia. So if you can get a machine to be kinder than an alarm, absolutely. And then sometimes it really is just about reminding and the signs don't always work because the signs are a big part of dementia care but you know written signs are not as good as a voice telling you you know they don't they don't always perceive the difference between the computer voice and the human voice as far as they're concerned you know and i've never been in their mind but from what i understand uh it seems like they're willing to accept that as being a person and so it's very helpful it's very it's very powerful and I think as the technology evolves, we'll be able to actually simulate the voice of a loved one and it'll become even more powerful. Absolutely. I could, I could see that. And I think that for anybody is is more appealing than you said, like a, a, a jarring alarm or anything like that. And again, it comes back to the human factor. You know, we can you, you do get a bit more of a connection with a person. You're going to be able to relate to a voice that's something that doesn't seem, you know, just so rules driven. You know, right. if I walk by and there's a sign on my wall, one, I, I look at it as a sign for me because my eyes aren't the best, becomes a part of the room over mm-hmm. time. I also don't notice a lot of things. So 
I mean, there's times where my wife says, you know, I, she's like, I couldn't make it any more obvious for you. And I'm thinking, well, (laughs) we're going to figure out a way because (laughs) I'm still missing it. Um, But I, I I think that's, that's going to be a connection point. And again, but it adds a, it adds a human piece to it. You have a connection. There are times I even hate to admit it, but you know, I'm the guy that sometimes still says thank you to Alexa after I, <laughs> I I'm that guy. To, and I, yeah, you can't help it. I think it pulls most of us in that, you know, that, that's what you've been taught to do because you actually feel like you're talking to somebody, even though, you know, really you're just speaking typed, typed code. Right. Um, it's just something that's processing and just spitting, spitting something back to you, but it doesn't feel that way when it's, it's a voice. And I think it comes back around to as well. You're fitting something into their life. It's not something that was kind of they're fitting in, you know, fitting in themselves or having it shoved into it, putting a sign on my wall that I like to hang pictures on. Right. Is, it's, invasive. You know, it's invasive. I now have to put something there. Yeah. Um, if I have to do something or interact with it, but if it just, you know, art, it speaks to me when it needs to speak to me, that's helpful. And I think that that fits. And again, it comes back to this, this factor of when you're looking at any population, which I think I bring up every time I talk to somebody, but anytime we're looking at a population, we have to look at it as this is a human population that we're talking to. This is not. That's right. VA user, you know, this, this is a person that you're sitting there. If I'm, if I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about, is this going to help me? Or is this going to do well for somebody? Then yeah, we need to have that, that mindset of, well, what would I prefer? Honestly, I, I'm very surprised that the person's okay with the 40, a reminder every 45 minutes. Um, I was that's too. That that's they're a, comfortable that's a, with. That's right. fine. Yeah. That surprised me. Um, but I think it preceded, it was preceded by a conversation about how high the stakes are with falls. So I, you know, I was in that house probably an hour at that point. And a lot of the conversation was went from, I'm not falling to you are falling and this is what could happen. And it's going to have a big impact on you and your wife. And I think through the evolution of that conversation, we got to the point where, yeah, I guess it would be okay if I had something that could remind me to use my walker. So, you know, it, I guess it was Stephen Covey that said, you know, when it comes to people, slow is fast and fast is slow. So when you try to do things too quickly, when you try to go in there and say, okay, this is all, you know, this, you're going to use all this stuff. It's going to be, it's going to be great. You're going to love it here. Pop, take it. Boom. Done. You're going to have you're, that digital resistive. I was telling you about, they're going to be super digital resistive, but now you're taking a technology and it's going to be more digitally transparent, right? Or technology transparent. And you're going to precede it with a lot of caring and compassion and understanding. And by the way, Nobody ever came to the realization that they fell because you told them they fell. The, yes. the, whole, the whole essence of this, the secret sauce is you spend a lot more time listening than lecturing. And that's hard because I'm an expert, right? I should know. I know everything. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to give you all my great expert advice and I'm going to be very confused when you don't take it. That never works. Years I did that. Turned out that nobody benefited from my great experience in education because they weren't listening to me because I wasn't listening to them. 
So taking a few minutes and finding out what's really important to them. And a lot of times the real, the real tipping point is, listen, you're going to fall on your wife. And then they do, they're able to kind of get to that. Listen, everything you've just described to me, you've had some real close calls where your wife has almost been underneath you when you fell. How do you think that's going to go now because of their, you know, their concern for their wife. And sometimes that backfires because some guys, you know, <laughs> they want something to fall on their wife, but, <laughs> but, you know, all kidding aside, right. Yeah. Find out what's important to them and sort of relate it to how this is going to now help you get to whatever it is that's important. And they all, I once heard that um, the, the secret to understanding life is, you know, that you, you're either using your free will to, go toward or away from a purpose, right? Or your purpose. Once you understand their purpose, you help them exercise their free will to go towards it and recognize that that's what you're trying to do. People uh, are able to accept a lot more of what you're trying to say. So when I'm, and I think it makes perfect sense. So whenever I'm looking at my community, looking at person I'm caring about or anything else. I mean, you definitely have to take a little bit of their perspective. It probably does make a lot of sense for us to have more conversations with people about, you know, any type of technology, any type of, any type of solution that we think we think we come up with it. You need to talk to the, the user, the person that's actually going to go into their home, talk to the, uh, talk to the family members, um, talk to the staff. It's amazing to me because I, I do a lot with facilities, full communities, and mm-hmm. how many times I see technologies that have really listened to one of those groups, you know, <laughs> and it, it's hard. It's extremely challenging. I mean, from my side, I've introduced a lot of different products to market. It is very difficult to get any group to kind of give you a large amount of feedback. Um, but I think it's the work that we have to put in. That we have to sit there and say, okay, who else is going to be involved in this? How do I talk to, you know, I go to a community. All right, perfect. I can talk to the administrators. I can talk to the caregivers and I can talk to the resident. But, you know, the one that gets left out is, did anybody talk to the family members? Right. Because they're more complicated to get to. And it, that's you know, right. I think it's that's something that. A little, little more yeah. work. And, and you're right. You're 100% right. The caregivers are the key. And I found that more often than not. Mm-hmm. And, uh you know, again, it's just about understanding their needs. And uh, if you can get there, you can, you can be a lot more effective. You know, so you gotta, when it comes to, right? so when it comes to, to their needs and your needs, let me ask you, if you were to, cause this was something that was interesting to me, cause I, I wanted to actually get your perspective on things. You know, if you could change something and say, this is what we should do. Um, and I want to get to that next, but there's, there's two questions I want to ask. One is sure. if you looked at your current day today and you said that just, I mean, today, um, you know, June 7th, and you said today, I, I've got to do these things. I wish I could change this and I would make this happen if I could today. And then the other thing was, I want to get feedback for our side of, if I had given you an unlimited number of staff members that could go out and they could work with you today you know, how many would you, would you use as many as I could, but I say, I need, I'll use more people. What would you actually have those people do? You have an unlimited amount of people and expertise. So the, the first question is what would I, you know, what would I want different today? today. Right now. And, 
and for me, the thing that excites me most about this, about all technology is the ability to solve problems that have yet to occur. This predictive technology. And that has been the thing that has been most exciting to me ever since I started playing with this. You know, first it was about, you know, letting people turn on lights so that they didn't trip at night. Really, it was just that simple. I was like, oh, wow, that'd be great if somebody could turn on a light and go to the bathroom. Yeah. And then it became about preventing things, right? Uh, and I had spent a lot of time prior to coming to the VA in lifestyle medicine. And, and working with people to improve their diet and exercise habits so that they you know, wouldn't die of a heart attack or a stroke the day after they retired, right? It turns out particular people are particularly resistant to do anything uh, in that regard. But I became intrigued with this idea of preventing things before they happen and became acquainted with how high the stakes are when you don't. Now, something you don't know about me is I was over... 400 pounds for most of my adult life. And I lost 200 pounds. I became a vegan. I exercise every day. I kayak to the circumference of Long Island, which was 270 miles in a week. Like I went, it's amazing, right? I, I went from a sure track to heart attack and stroke, probably not even making my retirement to, you know, out running, working, my own kids who look at me and they're like, dad, I got to rest. Right. And doing what I've done in the area of geriatrics and seeing how many people retire and not be able to enjoy it because of some lifestyle change they could have made 20 years earlier, 10 years earlier, five years earlier, the day before, I don't know. Right. It saddened me greatly because I, because changing human behavior is literally the hardest thing that anyone, including the person who has the behavior, can try to do. So I set myself up for failure, but I did see the incredible value of prevention. It's not sexy. It's not interesting. Nobody loves prevention. Like there's no TV. There's no reality TV show about preventing well, a heart attack. That's because if you solve the problem, there's no problem. Then it doesn't come up like the. You know, they, if we talk about like a, a pandemic. One of the hardest things about a pandemic budget or something like that is you know, we pour millions of dollars into it today, we never have another pandemic. Well, then everybody will sit there and say, Well, why did we put money into right? It never happened, exactly. It never happened, exactly. We're like, Well, yeah, it's like, yeah, we, like cybersecurity, <laughs> right? It's like, Why yeah, am like I cyber security, yes. cyber Why security? am I spending all this money? Yeah. Nothing ever happens. Be, it's like, Yes, that's right, nothing. Yes, well, that's so, our, our problem. I put the you know, we put different technologies in the house to right if, if you do your job right nothing happens like well yeah but then you feel like <laughs> hey, why are you here um you know so why? that so yeah, that's the, know, that's what excites me the most is this idea of prevent of nothing happening right of preventing something of of create of of turning bad outcomes into good outcomes before they happen so if you were to ask me one thing that like my future wish for today it would be that your next question what would I do right. with unlimited staff and resources? So I know no, I've given you unlimited bodies and they right. just, you can't go and just say, well, I would take all the resources and I would just buy a bunch of equipment, but you've mm -hmm. literally got people. Cause what right. I want to, what my goal, of this question, if I can lay it out is more yeah. just the, if I can understand 
what someone in your position would do if you had a bunch of people, we could maybe start looking at our technology and we can learn from that side and say, okay, how can we start, what, what, what can we automate in that? Or what can we improve upon that? And maybe it's, it's not going to be my, it might probably isn't going to be my stuff, but someone else who might listen to this might be able to say, oh, well, I could do that part of it. And right. then, you know, it gets better as, uh, overall. I, I can, I've contemplated this question a lot and it's, the answer is incredibly simple and it's this nothing no technology nothing no piece of equipment nothing replaces one caring qualified human being in front of one other human being requiring care that's it and when i, I when i started this i started giving you know powerpoint presentations to the rest of the medical center to sort of explain what i was doing and at the center of everything was this caregiver, who, whomever that was, right? And the level of involvement of that caregiver is going to be directly proportional to good outcomes. Better the human being, more qualified, more caring, more capable, better the outcomes for the patients, hands down. And that's the biggest frustration we have in any healthcare setting is that we don't necessarily, we don't have a good inventory of qualified in individuals. We don't have a good inventory of, of willing individuals. We don't have a good inventory of caring individuals. You, you put compassion and qualification and, and actual human presence in front of someone that needs to be cared for, they're going to be cared for, right? So nothing takes the place of that. Even the technology, somebody's got to respond to it sooner or later, right? So if you always look at your product from the perspective of what would a caring human being do in front of this person having this crisis, if you can even emulate any aspect of that answer, then you've done a great service to whoever's left caring for that person and the person being cared for. Does that, does my answer make sense to you? Absolutely. It does. I think it, it connects on a number of different levels. The one thing we talked about today was, you know, we sat there and said, you know, a human voice saying, Hey, don't forget your walker or Hey, you shouldn't go near that door. was a lot more impactful than a plain sign. Right. You know, we, because it had that bit of a connection piece to it. If we talk about, with any other devices, our ability to look around the, the, um, the different video call things you guys have put into place. You know, sometimes it's, look, I, I can't create compassion out of a, of a robot, but if I can bring the caregiver here in a way a little bit easier, you know, I, then that's, that's the next best thing. That's how I can start to kind of add on to that. And I can start to bring that in. And then, like you said, it's looking at it and saying, I think from a technology standpoint, I think the most important thing you just said is you have to look at your technology and you have to think, well, what would a caring, compassionate, educated, trained person, qualified person do? Right. And no, then try to emulate that because that's not going to have the warmth that comes along with human contact. But at least if we start approaching it from that perspective of saying, no, what would that person have done? Now we're going to take major steps forward. Cause I always look at it too. If, if I gave you the ability to, I said, look, 
you're going to follow this person around all day. You're just going to watch them. Um, and then what you're going to do is tell me tomorrow about what we can do to start making their lives better. What would be the things you watch for? Well, again, it, it goes back to that, all Depend that predict. Yeah, it goes back to the predictive right. side and, and trying to right. figure that out. But that's right. the other part that I always kick around in my head is because if I'm thinking about that caring, compassionate, qualified person, that's the way I try to approach it well, with something like our device. So we say, what are we watching for? So Exactly. So I use the word compassion very intentionally mm -hmm. because the difference between compassion and empathy, okay? Empathy is the ability to understand and to a certain extent take on the feelings specifically the suffering of someone else right compassion is the ability to understand and essentially take on the suffering of someone else but simultaneously have the desire to alleviate it so it's the recognition of suffering and the and the desire to have it lessened right? That's compassion. That's, that's the, that's a Buddhist definition of compassion, recognizing suffering and seeing, and, and, and wishing it to be relieved. And the qualification part comes where you actually have some tools at your disposal to help alleviate that suffering. So that's why the qualification piece is so important. I mean, you can, you can, you can stand in compassion for someone, but have no way to relieve that suffering. You can simply do nothing more than wish it to be relieved or you can be trained and then actually relieve that suffering whether it be in the, in my capacity as a physical therapist there's so many things that i can do to alleviate suffering or somebody who's just a trained assistant and cna and aide who can help with activities of daily living and transfers and things like that and just make someone comfortable these are incredibly important things but there's something magical about experiencing compassion that is healing in and of itself. And I don't think any human being will ever uh, be replaced by a technology in that way, right? But what it does do is it puts compassion, it gives compassion an opportunity to be exercised in the right place at the right time by the right person because the technology is going to help that person be in the right place at the right time. And that's where the technology is key, not to replace the compassion, but to put it in the right place. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I that, yeah. That's how I see that. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's a huge lesson for all of us to kind of take in, swallow into, to, meditate on and think about because that is what's going to move move us forward there's there's a lot of times I talked about earlier where we're kind of we're creating a solution but we're not considering all different parts and you know the why are we creating this and what are we trying to accomplish with it and what are we doing and i think that sums up a lot of it and gives us a lot better perspective on it so i really thank you for walking through that side of it um I think we're getting close on our time here so i'll just say thank you Dr. Russ, for joining here today. And thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast. Thank you for listening to the Power of Care podcast. Remember to follow the channel to stay updated on future episodes. And if you want to connect with me directly, feel free to email me at mark.mcgran at viar.com.